I'm going to summarize the beginning of the chapter and then read verse by verse through the second part of the chapter. But I'm trying to pull it all together and tie it all together, and you'll see how I do that in a moment. But so we have the first 10 verses. Um, the first 10 verses are about divorce uh, and, uh, and, and the, the, uh, Jesus' teaching to the Pharisees and then um, uh, the disciples' response to that teaching. And basically what he's doing here is he's teaching, the Pharisees believed that divorce, what they say in this passage, they believed that divorce was um, a matter of a man just recognizing that he no longer wanted to live with this woman, did not want this, that he was dissatisfied with his wife, and he wanted to put her away so that he could then go on with his life, marry someone else eventually. And this was the teaching of the Pharisees. And remember, uh, Will's sermon a few weeks ago, the Pharisees are the holy ones. They are the ones who do it right. They are the ones who are obedient to God's word. They try harder than anyone else to obey God's word, learn God's word, and do God's word. And this was their practice. And basically, Jesus is just saying to a bunch of Pharisees and a bunch of people listening in who did the same thing that the Pharisee, who, who followed the Pharisees' teaching and lived this way, he's saying to them, you're not good. You're not good. You think you're good. You think, Pharisees, you think you're so good. You think you're so obedient. But here, at a very fundamental level, you're not good. You believe that you, 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 many of you have gotten rid of your wives. The divorce rate was, we don't know what it was, but it was probably extremely high. It's, it was much easier that, to get a divorce at that time than it is even in our culture. Um, very easy um, to do, and for, you could do it for any reason, um, as they say. And Jesus says, this is not the way, yes, divorce happens, evil things happen, sin takes place and divorce happens. And so Moses explained what to do when a divorce is happening, how to handle that. But that wasn't the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. God had brought one man and one woman together, and he meant for them to stay together for life. But, but, the, but the idea and the, con- and, the, and the context of what we're saying here is he's trying to get the Pharisees and trying to get other people in the, in the community and those listening to him to recognize you're sinners. You're not good. The way, the, the, the way you live every day, your culture baked into your culture is this practice of, of, of divorce that is evil at the very root of it. And, and, and so you're not good people. You think you're good people. You think you're so obedient, but you're not good people. You're sinners. You do evil things. Um, and uh, and so that's, that's the basic idea. He's not, he's not teaching them about um, forgiveness here or, or grace. He's just laying out the he, At this point, he just wants them to understand their sin. And that's what a lot in this passage is happening is. He's try, at the beginning of this passage, he's trying to get people to see their sins so they will be ready for the gospel message, to see the sins that they have. He wants the Pharisees to see their sins. And you may be sitting there and think, well, I've never gotten divorced, so that doesn't count me. But just think about Jesus' teaching for a minute. Every single one of us in this room have horribly, grievously failed. If you're married, I'm sorry, not every single one. Everyone who's, who's married in this room or has been married has grievously failed to love your spouse again and again and again. You've done it over and over again. You have not loved your spouse in countless situations. You have not loved again and again and again. You have done what you shouldn't have done to your husband or to your wife. And so you're not good either. You're not righteous either. You're not holy either. You, you have done. The, the, for those of us who are married, we can just begin at home with the, the marital relationship and there find enough sin to convict us. Find enough sin to recognize you're not good. 
You are not what God would have you to be. You're not righteous. You're not, you're not holy. Um, and so, and, and by the way, in verse 10, the disciples respond and it shows the way they respond shows that they are right on tune with the Pharisees. They completely agree with what the Pharisees think. Cause when he, when Jesus gives this teaching, the disciples say, what, what are you talking about? We can't put our wives away if we need to. Of course, Jesus, I'm, why would anybody ever get married if that's the situation? And so they're, they're showing right there that they, they agree, their hearts are right. This is Jesus' disciples, and their hearts are with the Pharisees. They agree. They don't want to commit lifetime commitment to someone and be devoted to someone and give themselves entirely. They want to, the back door. They want to be able to, they want, the disciples themselves are that way. The disciples themselves are that way. Um, but I want to say this, and I want you to understand this. Assumed, because of the whole context of the gospel, R.C. Sproul one time preached a, a sermon on this passage, and at the end of the sermon, somebody came up to him in the sermon. This is R.C. Sproul, by the way. This is R.C. Sproul, by the way. At the end of the sermon, it was in the church where he preached, someone came up to him and said, you didn't preach the gospel today, Sproul. You didn't preach the gospel today. And he got defensive and defended himself at first and was like, you know, well, I mean, I was dealing with the text and I was dealing, and then he meditated on it and was like, that guy was exactly right. I didn't preach the gospel. I just laid out those verses about divorce and said, divorce is wrong. Now don't get divorced. You know that what's the gospel message? The gospel message behind this is when Jesus said that to the Pharisees, to the people, to the disciples, what was he saying? You're, you're not good. You're sinners. There's only one hope for you. Grace. There's only one hope for you. Forgiveness. You need the forgiveness of God. You have failed. And, and to us, even though maybe you, many of us have been divorces, but maybe many of us are in very, very messed up marriages. Maybe our marriages are, mar- are very troubled and very messed up, and it has to do with sin, uh, sin in, 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 the, in the marriage. Um, and we need to recognize that there's grace. There's grace for di- those who, di- who have divorced their, their spouses. There's grace for those who have sinned so badly that divorce had to happen. They've committed adultery. They've, abu- they've, they've abused their spouse. They've abandoned their spouse. Horrible things. But there is grace for those people. There is grace. There is forgiveness if you will recognize your sin. The problem with the, with the, 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 the people here is they hadn't recognized their sin yet, and Jesus needed to show them that at the very core of their marriages itself that they were that they were sinners they were sinners everywhere but they were sinners here now one thing i need to say is uh this teaching is i just need to say this to make sure it's clear because somebody might go away with a confused idea jesus does mention uh, that basically his teaching in here is saying this that um that it's wrong to divorce your spouse but he does say that spouses divorce is always wrong but there could be one of two different situations there could be the person who's initiating the divorce is the sinner. They're the ones who are saying, I don't want you anymore, go away, and, I, and I'm putting you away. That could be the sin. Or he's saying the sin could be another thing. The sin could be that the, one of the spouses has sinned so terribly, not just you know, the way we all sin every day, but a grievous, terrible sin against their spouse, horrible sin of adultery or something else, and divorce follows because this, the marriage has already been destroyed by this terrible sin. But either way, if it's this or it's this, it's all evil. It's all sin. Not, not necessarily both people are to blame, but some, there is evil somewhere. There's someone to blame. 
And so the message, what he's trying to get the message across that you're not good. Then he goes on to talk about celibacy, and it's very fascinating. What Jesus says here is when the disciples say that thing, he jumps off. The, when they say, well, I, I don't ever want to get married then, or, or why would anybody ever get married? Jesus jumps on that and says, yeah, there are some people who will not get married. There are some who are called to not get married. And, um, and he says, and, 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 and he, he describes the eunuchs in different ways, but then he says, and some give up marriage there will be some who give up marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God, to serve God and to do God's will. And do you know who he's talking about primarily? Himself. He's the good one. He's the good one. There's no one who's ever been a celibate for the sake of the kingdom of God with absolute perfection and done that exactly like that. Yeah, I gave up marriage so that I could 100% devote myself to God. No one ever did that except Jesus Christ. He gave up marriage. He gave up family. He gave up children for you and for me. He was the good one. He's trying to tell them, you're not good. And he's trying to say, I am good. I have given. He said, who do you think I'm talking about when I say there will be people who give up marriage, who set aside marriage and family for the sake of the kingdom of God? Me. I gave it up for the kingdom of God, for salvation, to, to purchase salvation for uh, my people, to purchase salvation. Um, now I'm going to start reading in verse 16, and this is the familiar story of the rich man. Let me read here. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. It's referring to God and if uh, Jesus is the Son of God, which is what the New Testament teaches, then he's referring to himself as well, that he is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, God, the one, capital O there in the, in the English translation, to signify that there is only one who is good. God is good, and he includes himself, of course, in God as the Son of God. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. So the first thing he's saying here is that God alone is good. No one is good. This is his theme right now. This is what he's harping on right now. This is what I want you to see. He's harping on the fact that no one is good. God, there's only one who is good. He makes that abs as an absolute statement. Only God is good. No one is good. And his mission is to, to, to preach his gospel. But part of that gospel is he has to give people the law, which tells them, that helps them to see that they're not good because you don't, you don't rejoice in the gospel and receive Jesus unless you see that you're not good. And so many of the people at this time did not see that they were, that they were not good. And so he needs to get this message across to them. And of course, this rich man does not see it, that he is not good. Um, the man comes thinking, he act, the question he asks shows that he thinks that he can actually be good enough, he can actually live a good life and be good enough to get eternal life. That's the question he asks. What do I need to do to, what do I need to do to, to, to get eternal life? He's, he's saying, what good thing must I, so he's actually saying, I can do it. I can be good enough. Jesus, just lay it out for me. Explain your teaching, whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. I will do the good things that you tell me that I need to be done in order to enter salvation. I am good enough. He's basically saying, I'm good. I can do this. I can I, I'm not saying that I've done it yet, but I can do good. Whatever you tell me to do, I can achieve it. I can achieve this good. Um, and what does Jesus do? Does he preach the gospel to him? Does he preach the gospel of Jesus Christ of free grace, un, the, uh, unmerited favor? No, he doesn't. That's not what he does. 
Jesus, in this particular case, knowing this man's situation, knowing this man's heart, he, pure, he preaches to this man pure law with no gospel. He says, okay, you're so good. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you'll be saved. If you don't do this, do this, do this, you'll be damned. You'll be punished. This is what you must do. He doesn't preach the gospel to him. He preaches the law to him. And why does he do that? Well, what we've just been talking about, because he didn't get it. He didn't get that he wasn't righteous. He actually thought he was a good man who could do good things. He just needed the good things to be explained to him. If it was explained to him, he'd get it done. He was a good man. But the message of this passage, one of the main messages of chapter 19, there's two parts. I'm going to get the other one in a minute. But the first message is, you are still not good. You're not good. You're not good. And you're still not good. You may say, I've been a Christian for 70 years. I'm good now. You ain't. You ain't. As soon as you start thinking you are, You've disconnected yourself from grace, salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he did upon the cross. You've got, to, you've got to recognize that you're not good. That's what he's trying to do to this rich young ruler. He's saying, and what's crazy is he says that to the rich young ruler, do these things. He hits them with these commandments, and the rich young ruler says, yeah, done. That's already finished. I already did. I mean, since I was a little child, I've been doing that stuff. That's all covered. Of course, if he knew any of Jesus' teaching, if he had heard any of the teaching that we've been hearing in the Gospel of Matthew or any of the other Gospels, if he had heard any of Jesus' teachings, he'd know that Jesus had made it very, very clear with each of the commandments, you haven't done it. With every commandment, he'd take it out and they'd think they'd done it. And he said, you have not done this. Adultery, you have. You, you've sinned there. Murder, you've sinned there. He did it again and again. He'd take every commandment and say, no, no, no. Yeah, you haven't killed anybody, but you've done, you have sinned. You have broken that commandment. But, he doesn't, but Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, you idiot. He doesn't do that. He just, he, just, he, 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 go, he just goes deeper with him. And he doesn't, he doesn't preach the gospel yet to him either. He hits him with more law. He says, okay, you want to know what it really means to be obedient to God? You want to know what it really looks like to, to be completely devoted to God, to, completely, to be perfect, to earn your salvation by complete righteousness, complete holiness, complete perfection? And he gives this command... That is, that uh, I'll explain what he's doing here, but let me read it for you first. Um, uh, he's, where did I leave off reading? He says, why do you, why do you, why do you ask? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, the man says, which ones, which commandments should I obey? And Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's sort of the second table of the law. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You will be saved, and then come follow me. This is still law. This is still the law. He's saying to him, um, uh, uh, what he knows that this man can't do, he, he's telling him to do this, but, and he's saying to them, if you want treasures in heaven, if you want to be saved, this is what you must do in order to be saved. Um, and he gives him something, he gives him the full, you know, he's basically saying um, that, uh, 
he's basically saying to him, you know, love, he's taking him back to the first commandment, basically, and saying, love God. If you really want to love God more than anything, then love him more than anything. Love him more than all that you have, all the possessions you have. Love God more than that. Love God, put everything secondary to God and show me that you love God more than everything you have by getting rid of all this stuff that you have. And show me that you love, you said you loved your neighbor as yourself since you were a child. Show me that you actually love your neighbors in Jerusalem, the poor that are all around you in Jerusalem. Show me that you really love them by loving them as yourself. In other words, taking what belongs to you and getting rid of it to provide for all of their needs like you feed your own stomach every day. Feed, you, feed the poor of, of Jerusalem. Feed the poor of Jerusalem by giving. That's, now that is a life wholly devoted to God and wholly devoted to neighbor. A life of total sacrifice and total love and total devotion. And when, he, and when Jesus lifts, up, lifts it up to there to show what obedience, what love of God and what love of people really looks like. And by the way, he's not saying that this is what every single Christian should do. He's not saying that. He doesn't repeat this in, in other places in the same way. He does say similar things because there's, there's, we can practice this uh, in certain ways. Um, definitely we can practice this, and the early church did practice this in many ways. But he's not saying um, the same thing about getting rid of everything to every single, every single Christian, and even the 12 didn't do this. But he, um, but he is making a point about this is what love of God and love of people looks like. And he, to, to this man, he says, I'm speaking for God and telling you in your life what love of God and love of man would look like. And he ain't about to do that. And he doesn't get it yet. It's stirring in his mind. He's all messed up. He, he, he goes away sad. And he goes away sad because up until that moment, he thought he was good. He thought he was good enough. He thought, I can do whatever Jesus throws at me. And then Jesus lays it out for him and he's like, Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not, I'm not into that kind of devotion to God and neighbor. Not that kind of, that's, that's crazy talk. That's insanity. I'm not going to devote, my, I'm not going to sacrifice myself 100% for God and neighbor like that. Are you, I can't do that. Now, I'm not saying he got his sin yet, but he goes away sad. But what I want you to understand is, is that doesn't mean, I, I often hear sermons on this that say this, and this guy's lost. He's lost. How do you know he's lost? Jesus preached the law to him so he'd see his sin. He goes away sad. He, think about this. He could have mused on this for days, weeks, months, and, 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 and the God, Jesus' teaching of the law to him was showing him how broken he was, that he really didn't love people. He really didn't love God. And eventually that would have, could have, could, I don't know what happened, but it could have broken through and the gospel, and then he was ready for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe on Pentecost Sunday, he was standing there in the crowd and he said, I believe, I believe. The same thing with those, those Pharisees about the divorce. He wasn't saying to the Pharisees, you're all damned and going to hell. He's saying, you're, 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 you're not good. You're sinners. You need salvation. And I am offering it to the, to the, to the Pharisees. You, every one of you Pharisees can be saved if you will recognize your sin. If you will recognize your sin, know you're not good, and you will receive the free grace, the free grace that I am bringing, the free grace that I am offering. Um, every single one of you can be saved. Same thing for the disciples. Was he, because the disciples had the same heart as the Pharisees, was Jesus saying, oh, man, I screwed up choosing those 12. They're out. No, grace, all 12 of them. Grace, grace, 
Grace, grace. Are you a terrible sinner? Is your heart in the wrong place uh, in your mar- towards your marriage and towards your spouse? Yes. Grace, 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 grace. Don't read divorce passages and be like, I'm divorced, or my marriage is a mess, or I've failed my spouse so grievously, and she or he is about to divorce me, or all this stuff that all this stuff... No, repent. Acknowledge the sin. Acknowledge there's grace for you. There's grace. There's grace. A divorce passage is not to be taught like Sproul taught it, and he recognized it, and I've taught it too. Just pound the people with the law and forget about the gospel. No, the gospel says grace for divorced, grace for marriages that are in disaster, grace for people who are struggling, grace for people who have failed their spouses so many times. Grace, 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 grace. And so the message that I, that I want to give you across from this passage, and then I want to look at three other passages real quickly, are you are still not good, but there is still grace to you from God. I'm speaking to Christians now. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are still not good. But today you are still there is still grace to you from God. And that means that here today, the undeserved favor of God, all of his goodness, all of the benefit that he has for you. He is still at work in your life, his attitude towards you. What happens in our life is this, that we start to, we start to see our sins over the years and we think, I've been a Christian so long, I should be better than this. And we start, we start to doubt grace, that we're still under grace. You're still under grace. Day one, when you came to faith in Jesus, it was all grace. On day 20,000, 25,000, 30,000, you are living the exact same way still under grace. You didn't at some point pick up the slack for Jesus. You didn't at some point start putting some of your obedience in and your righteousness in. You are still coming to him the same way you did minute one. I am still not good, and I still only can be saved by the grace of Jesus, and the grace of Jesus is mine. It's on me. Why? Because I asked. Because I sought it. Because I recognized my sin, I recognized my need, and I asked for it. Um, And sometimes your sorrow can make you doubt, too. When you are going through hard things in your life, really, really hard things, you can begin to think, and this happens to all of us, so we're all, we all do this. Hard things are happening in your life. You begin to think, this is God's word to me. You know, this is God's message to me. This hard thing, he's saying to me, you're trash and I'm crushing you. You're trash and I'm grinding you down. I'm grinding you down because I'm mad at your sin and I'm crushing you, I'm crushing you, I'm crushing you. That ain't God's message to you. You know where God's message to you is? Right here. Yes, you're sinful. Yes, you are a sinner. He spilled his blood about that, for that. His body was broken for that. He gave the message of the gospel is still the message to you. All the suffering is not the message to you. Even your own sin is not the message to you. The message to you is grace what Jesus has done for you. Now, okay, so I just showed you Jesus preaching a lot of law in here, but is there any grace in this chapter? Is there actually in the chapter? Is there actually gospel in the chapter? Yes, there are in three places that I want to show you. There's probably others, but these are the three that jumped out at me. Three other places where there's, where there's grace. Um, let me show you real quick, and then we'll close. Um, let's see. Uh, we are in chapter 19, verse 23. Verse 23, we've got to finish this, this story here. 
He says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we all get hung up on this, like, oh, he's focused on riches and how riches uh, keep you from getting into the heaven. No, follow what he keeps saying. Yes, he's picking on this rich man because this rich man is so self-righteous and so confident. Um, and the reason is, is because in their culture, if there was an obedient Pharisee rich man, um, if there was, a, sorry, my phone is making noises. Um, if there's an obedient rich man, um, and he has all the blessings in their culture. What they said was, that man is blessed by God because he's so good. He's so good that God is, it's sort of like prosperity gospel. That's the way they thought. He's so good that all this prosperity has been poured out on him. And that's why he has everything that he has. So he was very, that's why he was so self-confident. That's why he was so self-righteous and thought that he really was good and could do whatever Jesus put on him. And Jesus had to show him, you ain't good. You're not good. Go, you know, think about what you're not willing to do. Think about your lack of obedience to, to God, your lack of love for God and people. Um, um, and uh, so, so, so read on with me. If, uh, where was I? Verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that does actually mean eye of a needle. Sometimes you'll hear people say it meant a gate. It doesn't mean a gate. There, there was no gate called the eye of the needle. Um, oh, you know, most people are agreed at this point, that no, this is, this is talking, he's, he's saying something impossible, and he makes that clear in the very next verse. It's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so what I'm saying is he's, he's, he's attacking the ones who are at the very top, who everyone would have said, if anybody's qualified, the rich guys are qualified, because you can see their blessing. And he says, and when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, can anybody be saved? Who then can be saved? If that guy can't be saved, and people like him can't be saved, who can be saved? Can anyone be saved? And here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, it's all impossible. Yes, it's impossible. It's impossible for the rich man. It's impossible for the poor man. It's impossible for this woman, that man, this woman, that man. Yes, when it comes down to doing good, and trying to be righteous, and trying to do what you can do in order to get God's blessing, in order to get God's salvation, and get God's grace on you. Um, uh, it's impossible. But then he says very clearly, but with God, all things are possible. Every single salvation that has ever taken place has been God doing the impossible, what, a man, what was impossible for man, but only God could do. He's not talking about, oh, I'm going to save a few rich people because I can do hard things. No, he's talking about everybody, every single person. All of us, it's impossible. Every single one of you, it was impossible for you to be saved, and God saved you because all things are possible for him. He did it by his goodness. He did it by his power. He did it by sending the Lord Jesus Christ for us to save us. It's, and so what I want you to know right now is what I'm, what I'm hoping for you to take away today is um, for those of you who are struggling, for those of you who are, who are, who are saddened and, 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 and in a dark place maybe, um, I want to remind you and I just want to strengthen you um, uh, from this passage that um, God is doing in your life. If you put your faith in Jesus, believe this, believe the gospel. God is doing in your life what is only possible for him to do. He is doing in your life what only he can do. And yes, there's still sin because that's coming from you. 
but he is at work in your life. There's good deeds, too, because that's the work of his Holy Spirit. And there's change, some change happening, too, and that's the work of his Holy Spirit. And there's forgiveness on you, but you are living under grace for today as much as the first day. You are not good, and yet it's grace to you. There will be grace to you from God. The, he is doing the impossible in your life. Uh, it is not possible for you. As long as you keep looking at, um, as long as you keep looking at your own goodness, um, if you, and you could have two different attitudes. You could be anxious about your goodness. Is it enough? Or you could be super confident in your goodness and think it's enough. Either one, you're not understanding. You're not understanding what grace is. Um, that, no, your good is, your, don't be anxious. Your good is not enough. It's only by grace that you live. I don't know if you, if you know the freedom of that, of living day in, day out. Do you know that freedom, living day in, day out, knowing I'm good. The Lord Jesus died for me. The Holy Spirit lives within me. God, the, God's attitude towards me is undeserved favor, and I can't do anything to change that. There's nothing, there's no way I can drop the ball on this. He's holding the ball. It's impossible for me. Yes, there's nothing I'm giving. It's impossible for me, but it's only possible for God, so he does it all. Leave it to him. Leave it to him. To see. He's saving you. He's at work in your life. He's saving you, and he will take you to the end. Leave it to him. Trust him. Trust him to do his good work. Two other places, and then we'll be done. Verses one, verses 1 and 2. Go way back to the beginning. We just jumped past this, but don't miss this. I'll just mention it briefly, but look at this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee, and he went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Do you recognize that every single healing in the Gospels is a picture to us of salvation? Every single Healing is a parable. It's an acted out parable. Every time you see a healing in the Bible, don't be thinking about who can I heal or if I, you know, that's not what it's about. What it's about, it's an acted out parable. It's an acted out parable of God's grace. And think about it for a minute. What's going on? The sicknesses that the people had signify sin, our sin. The healing signifies Forgiveness, the forgiveness of those sins. And think about those sick people. Jesus was going through, the, going through the world, and masses of people, masses of hurting people were crowding to him, crowding to him, and he was touching them and healing them and speaking a word to them and touching them and healing them and touching them and healing them. And they, they didn't bring gifts. They weren't qualified somehow. The only qualification was their asking, which is what faith is. In the Gospels, what is faith? It is asking for Jesus to, to, to heal you. That's what faith is. It's asking. You, you know you're sick, and you ask for healing. This is what faith is. It is knowing you're a sinner and asking for Jesus to forgive you. This is what faith is. And no one gets turned away. There's that one time Jesus seems like he's going to turn someone away, and then the lady just says, Lord, have mercy. And she, he says, of course. <laughs> Boom. I wasn't really going to turn you away. You know, he, was, he doesn't turn anyone away. No, he, no one comes. He goes, you're not really qualified. He does do that once, but, you know, it's, it, we can't, I can't preach that passage today. But uh, he does heal the person. He does heal the person. Um, he turns away the rich young ruler because he comes saying, what can I do? What can I do to get salvation? Instead of coming to Jesus and being like, Jesus, I am a sinner, a wicked sinner. Have mercy on me. That's what you do. That's faith. That's faith. Not what can I do. What can I do to get the blessing?
I do, Lord? How can I get this? How, what can I do? And so I want you to think about something. Every time you read a healing passage in the Gospels, you're always the sick one. You're the blind one. You're the handicapped one. You're the diseased one. You're the dead one. You're the demon-possessed, riddled one. And it's all, this is the way you relate to Jesus, not just the day you walk the sawdust trail. We don't, real Presbyterians, we don't really walk a sawdust trail, but the day that you put your faith in Jesus, um, not that day, only. Every single day, every single moment, you're still relating to Jesus. You are still, this is where you are today, day 10,000, whatever it is of your Christian life. You are still before Jesus. Who st- you still have your sins, and his hand is resting on you, his hand of healing, because he is continuing to forgive and forgive and forgive. And all of your sins meet with all of his grace and all of his forgiveness. And you live like that. You live on your knees before Jesus, and his hand is always on you. You are always before him as the sinner, and he is always, his hand is always on you. And now does that remind you of another story in this passage, the last gospel passage, the blessing of the children. The blessing of the children. He brings the children, and Jesus says, bring those kids here. And then he says something interesting. He says, the kingdom you know, is, it, it is made up of such as these, meaning not just made up of kids, but meaning people like these kids. That's what he means. People like these kids. In other words, what did the kids come? The kids come, um, the kids come not bringing anything. The little children, they don't bring, they don't come to Jesus. They just come to Jesus and their parents are like, Jesus, could you bless them? Or maybe the child comes up to Jesus. But these are little children, one, two, three babies, They come to Jesus, and Jesus puts his hand on them, and he blesses them. And that's you, and that's me, bringing nothing, empty-handed. And once again, I'm not talking about the first day. Today, I'm not talking about the first day of your salvation. I'm talking about today. (laughs) You're still to be living like that. And I want you to know that that, I'm not trying to do this to tell you to do something. I'm trying to tell you to assure you of something. I'm trying to assure you of something. I'm not trying to tell you, go home and do this, and then this will all happen. No, folks, you have faith in Jesus. It's already happening. Jesus' hand is on you, and blessing, the blessing of God is on you today. Today. Why? Because you believed in Jesus. Because you asked to be forgiven of your sins. You are, and you will continue to be, and Jesus' hand is on you every day. Forgiveness, blessing, forgiveness, blessing, and you are still not good. One day you will be, but you're not yet. And you're still receiving, you're still living on blessing and forgiveness, blessing and forgiveness. Live like that. Just live with that knowledge that Jesus' hand is on you and he's blessing you like a little child. And you're not bringing anything other than a little child would be bringing. Notice that there's a contrast in this story, too, between the rich man and the little child. The rich man comes. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I'm, go, I'm probably way over. I'm going to stop in 30 seconds. Remember that, that sermon Will preached three weeks ago? I was here that Sunday, so I heard that sermon. And it was from Luke 18. And guess what? This is the same chapter. And this is Luke 18 and Matthew 19 are the same chapter. There's one difference. That story that, that Will preached. So think about that story inserted into these events, and it's the same theme. 
the theme of who, who, is, who is the one who is accepted by God, the one who recognizes their sin, and the one who is self-confident. So the rich man is the Pharisee, self-confident, and the child is the one who comes with nothing, um, and the sick come with nothing. Um, I hope that um, you have received this, 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 this assurance today, and you can live in it.